Dave Fanning on 2FM. Now, a couple of questions. Do you feel claustrophobic when you enter a lift? Maybe you shake with ergophobia on your way to work. Or perhaps you've taken part in some, oh, I don't know if I pronounced this correctly, churomania, <laughs> dancing your socks off at a recent gig or a night on the tiles. Well, anyway, these are many phobias, many manias we as humans can fall victim to. But did you know they're influenced by the times that we live in? And in recent years, what a time it's been. Well, award-winning author Kate Summerscale has researched the phobias and manias that have affected society throughout history and published her findings in a perfect book for Christmas, by the way, the book of phobias and manias, a history of the world in 99 Obsessions and Kate is here now with us. So Kate, you're very welcome. Kate, let's start, jump straight in. Fears and phobias, bit of history. Have they been part of the human condition since the beginning of time? Yes, for sure. And many of the phobias and manias that we have can be traced to really ancient impulses that helped us survive as a species. Um, But they only became named as phobias and manias in the late 18th century and the 19th century saw a huge rise in the diagnosis of these conditions. But they are forged by the times we live in, aren't they? I mean, they do change with the way we live our lives these days. For sure, yes. There are lots of phobias and manias that either come to the fore or are identified um, because of things that happen in the external world. So they're not only based in these kind of ancient pulses laid down in our brains but also in in social change and listen do all phobias have their names or the origins of their names in latin why is that yeah it's greek and latin sort of um jammed together it's um because they were named in the 19th century in ways that tried to make them sound sort of scientific and authoritative mm. and and that was the and the classical languages were were the ones that were drawn on for medical and scientific discourse so in a way it was this way of legitimizing these conditions and um, and giving them a certain kind of authority and beatlemania features in the book i always thought it was more of a pop culture term than an actual mania well, yeah, some of the terms in the book are pop cultural phenomena, but actually Beatlemania, I realised, shares quite a lot with some of these other mm. manias, these communal manias that were identified in Victorian era and since, like manias for dancing, for laughing, for singing. And um, they seem to have a common thread in that they're sort of emotionally contagious conditions, which often afflict groups of young women or girls and um, they're kind of great upsurges of social emotion that often have their roots in very rapid cultural change such as the changing status of women at the time of Beatlemania so it's often thought of in a sort of um, a trivializing way but actually yeah. I think it was a kind of um, mass eruption of, of feeling, confusion and ambition among young women at that time. Well, if we are looking at a history of the world in 99 Obsessions, the actual title of the book being the book of phobias and manias, could I be glib and just put it straight in one short sentence that if a phobia is a compulsion to avoid something, a mania basically is usually a compulsion to do something? Yeah, right. So, yeah, one's an aversion and one's a desire. And they're both there. So they're two sides of the same coin, really. And in some ways, do you think that if they're forged by the times we live in, are are we we talking about the commonest form of sort of anxiety disorder? 
yeah, they are, they're commonly referred to. They are the commonest form of anxiety disorder, really. A lot of the manias, as I describe them in the book, now are classified as things like obsessive compulsive disorder. So the compulsion to wash your hands or trichotillomania, um, the word I particularly like, which is the compulsion to pluck out one's hair, which is a surprisingly widespread condition. Um, and addiction, so dipsomania, a craving for, for drink, bouts of binge drinking. And so, so we now call them things like addiction and obsessive disorders. But um, so they're, they're very widespread one way and another. And phobias, lots of people will be familiar with something that at least lies on the spectrum of phobia, whether it's a fear of small spaces or yeah. going out or taking flights. I mean, like, you know, phobia, a lot of people would say that phobia is basically an irrational fear that affects your daily life. Is it irrational, have you found? Yeah, well, it's it's the definition of a phobia that it's irrational, extreme, and also it interferes with how you would live. So that the the real sort of measure of when a, something is a, a fear and when it is a phobia is when it sort of gets in the way of, of things and you seek help for it. So the very act of seeking help or um, naming it or thinking of it as, as something that prevents you from doing what you want to do is, is really what defines it as a phobia. And do you think in terms of what you were trying to do that you've maybe found along the way that this is now a book about human psychology? I mean, for instance, like, you know, fear of snakes probably makes sense, I suppose. All right. You have one called, oh, God, here we go. Ophidiophobia, spiders and rats. I understand all those ones, I suppose. But then there's feathers and popcorn and balloons and hair and eggs and silence. Like (laughs) it, It is a search through the world of psychology eventually, isn't it? Yeah, and um, and in finding out when each one was first identified or invented by psychiatrists, it's also um, was a kind of uh, sort of route through the history of psychology, psychiatry, and the changing attitudes to human emotions and mm. to consider rational and irrational and it does go into every little corner of the of the brain in a way and uh, and our emotional lives covering every because some phobias are rooted in disgust um, and others more in fear of a predator so some of those you named the sort of textural phobias like right exactly and buttons they're more yeah. like um, squeamish aversions repulsions I mean, the, like, the, what about the kind of collective one? I mean, the fear of four. It's deeply embedded in various Asian cultures. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit like the Western fear of the number 13. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but which we think of mostly as a superstition, really, but it can be a phobia. And the fear of the number four in a lot of Asian cultures, Eastern cultures, um, is because in many languages in that part of the world, the word for sounds very like the word death. Yeah. And so there are particular sort of uh, four um, numbers that involve the four that is especially sort of terrifying. And there was even a study in the States among uh, Japanese and Chinese communities there that found that people were more likely 
to have heart attacks on the fourth day of the month than than any other time. So the the fear can really be very um, can can sort of drive our, our our behavior and our our bodies. It's not it's not just a superstition, but it can become a kind of compulsion. And does it go as far in Asian countries with high rise um, hotels to go uh, like the first floor, the second floor, the third floor, the fifth, sixth, seventh, leave out yes. the fourth? Yes, apparently in Hong Kong and and elsewhere, and uh, and all the forties would be missing as well right. in a very tall block. <laughs> okay, well then, what about manias? I mean, the compulsion to act—it's just as disturbing, isn't it? Yeah, it can be, and some of them are very private. The um, compulsion to pluck out one's hair, for for example, that I mentioned, is mm. um, is often a, a hidden sort of shameful activity. Um, there's also extreme behaviour around fingernails and skin compulsions like that, and um, and all sorts of addictive behaviours. Nymphomania we used to speak of, which was excessive sexual desire in women, which is no longer a, a term that's much used. We talk more about sex addiction, if anything. Um, but but yeah, they can be very uh, very tormenting conditions. And for Freud, it always comes down to something to do with sex, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> and it really does, certainly reading this book anyway. Um, OK, these are serious psychological conditions, I presume, at, at various times. I mean, like at one stage, you say, I think 7% of people experience a phobia at some point. I would have thought it was a lot more. Well, those are the figures for um, things that are officially diagnosable phobias, things that would be sort of classified as psychiatric disorders. Yeah. And one in 10 women and one in 20 men is thought to suffer from those in their lives. Um, but many, many more of us have uh, very strong dislikes or aversions to things or compulsive habits that we might refer to as phobias, certainly. Mania is a less common term nowadays. But lots of us would um, would identify ourselves as being scared of spiders or um, heights and but wouldn't necessarily have, see a psychiatrist about yeah. it and be diagnosed and treated. Well, that figure that you gave there would suggest like the women are very much disproportionately phobic, if you like. Would that be to do with maybe more so in the past than now, though I don't know, of fears of being dismissed as being irrational or more reasons to be afraid because the social sort of environment is more hostile to them? Yeah, there are there's some, some theories that um, the reason that women might be programmed to be more afraid in an evolutionary adaptive mm. sense because of their role as mothers. So they're either carrying babies or caring for infants. So it might make sense for them to be doubly afraid so that because they're looking out for, for others to be very wary. Uh, but yeah, equally, you could argue, and some people have, that the reason for the much higher diagnosis of phobias in women is that their fears are more often can, can dismissed as irrational, um, or that, that certain situations are more dangerous to them in the world yeah. we've constructed, yeah. or even that women are more likely to identify themselves as phobic because fear is is more taboo in a man. So a man is less likely to to confess to fear. So perhaps the figures reflect the fact that lots more women admit they're scared. Right, indeed. Yeah, maybe they are much closer together. All right. So what about not fearing anything? Can that be as life threatening? 
Yes, that's a condition known as hypophobia, meaning a lack of fear. And it's a good reminder that our fears actually protect us a lot of the time. It's it's perfectly rational to be fearful up to a point um, and that those without fear live live at great risk. And um, the sort of an animal on a, in, in a situation where they have no predators and become fearless becomes very uh, vulnerable if if predators suddenly arrive. So, you know, fear is fear is normal. Fear is good. <laughs> um, but the phobias are where, where that fear becomes um, excessive and controlling. Well, then, has your research led you to believe that phobias like, are clues to our shared past? I mean, are, 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 are fears passed across generations? Yeah, there is a, there's um, an intriguing story, some speculation about arachnophobia, fear of mm. spiders, which is very prevalent in the West. And yet we live in, in a geographically very unlikely to be, um, to, to be put in danger by a spider. They're not really a threat to us spiders on the whole. And uh, one psychologist has speculated that during, in the Middle Ages, we, um, our Europeans believed that spiders were carriers of the plague and the Black Death and became very scared of them for that reason. And even though it was discovered in the 19th century that it was actually fleas on the backs of rats that were the carriers of disease, mm. it um, this, this cultural image of the demonic, dangerous spider stuck and has been passed down to us from generation to generation, in cartoons and movies and books. And so that it's almost like... Um, collective memory that we've inherited um, and arachnophobia is one of the most most prevalent and and actually irrational of, of our phobias. Well then if a phobia is like defined maybe as a persistent overwhelming and debilitating fear often with irrational cause how often have you found that the word irrational can be used or maybe you should never use it at all it's not irrational if if it's real. Yeah, well, it's irrational if it's if it's uh, if if it's out of proportion to the danger that the thing causes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it uh, so that's what the the irrational component. It doesn't mean it's it's not real. I mean, these things are, are, are very deeply felt and um, and often it seem very hard to shake. Uh, but yeah, the boundary between what's rational and irrational shifts all the time, um, usually gradually. But in time of war or during a pandemic, it can shift very suddenly. So washing your hands compulsively seemed uh, was was considered an irrational behavior uh, until the government says, wash your hands um, uh, all the time. And then suddenly it's a healthy, sane and a normal behaviour. Well, I have hung a sieve um, above my door for the last uh, 50 or 60 years and uh, I've had no witches in my house since. It's it's, (laughs) it's working. (laughs) I mean, seriously, there's a lot of that in the book too. Yes, there is. Yes, the sieve for the witches. And that's... um, (laughs) Apparently, that's linked to the entry on arithmomania, the compulsion to count. And um, it's believed that witches just can't resist counting. So if you put a sieve in front of your door, the witch becomes so obsessed with counting every little. (laughs) I knew all that. That's why I did it. Um, I was going to say, there's just a couple of the ones here that I don't like. I'm not going to even, will I try and pronounce them? I mean, here's a great one. Are you ready for this now? 
Hippopotamus troesquipedio. Uh, I don't know. Can, can, can you pronounce that one that you think I might be saying? I'll have a go. <laughs> Hippo monstro sesquipedaliophobia. Yeah, that's the one. That's exactly it. Uh, what is it? <laughs> that is the fear of long words. <laughs> um, and that was invented Brilliant. in the 70s as a kind in a sort of jokey way. And it's constructed from the word hippopotamus because it's a large animal, monstro because monstro means very large. Right. And pedalio is to do with the number of syllables in a word. Um, so it's a it's a it's a word that mimics the thing that it describes. Right, exactly. And it's one letter longer, I think, than supercalifragilistic. Right, okay, very good. It's almost onomatopoeic. Okay, well then, how about this one here? Look, uh, I didn't realise this. I, I presume I'm going to get this wrong too. Galophobia is a fear of sharks. I would have thought it was a fear of the Irish language. I didn't know that. <laughs> There's one also you have a, is thalamophobia. Is that right? A fear of deep water. Yeah, I'd, I'd have a yeah. fear of that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And there's one called cynophobia, a fear of dogs. Yeah. Um, well, very common, actually, because mm. um, oh, yeah. especially among children. I mean, if somebody gets bitten by a dog, they are likely to develop a fear of dogs, of all dogs, to extend their fear from the one dog to the many. And um, as with many phobias, the more you avoid something, the more the phobia gets cemented because you never get the chance to have a positive or happy or fun experience with a dog. Um, so, uh, yes, a lot of children are, are treated for, for that condition. And how do you pronounce this one? Is, is it onion mania or onion mania? Like a, fear, like a, 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 a compulsion to shop, is it? Yeah. Um, yes, also very widespread. Pronounce um, it. Onion mania. Onion mania. Okay, so it's not yeah. onion mania. Okay, I didn't know about that one. I mean, I, I, but obviously, I, I, just, I just I didn't know the fear of dogs was xenophobia. But you have two other ones here now. Please, um, is it abiophobia or abophobia? So it's the fear of palindromes, words that spell the same backwards as forwards. Is that it? It is. That's another one, like the fear of long words that's, uh, that was coined as a kind of joke where the word itself does the thing. It's, the word itself is a palindrome. It's phobia spelt backwards. Oh, then- my God. I'm only realising that now. <laughs> I hadn't realised that. So it is. Oh, that's a bit embarrassing. Oh, damn. OK, I should have seen that. Um, what was I going to say? Just one last one. Obviously, you've got to be joking about the phone fear one. Nomophobian. Nomophobian. Well, yeah, nomophobia, the fear of being without your mobile phone, <laughs> which was uh, was coined as a kind of joke in yeah. 2008, but actually is is a real thing. I think people, and there have been experiments to show that people oh, yeah. are so reliant on their mobile phones that they, they experience them almost as part of their bodies and can be made very anxious by being at a distance from their ringing phone. Absolutely, and we all know that the real person for a lot of people actually lives on the phone, is, is whatever is projected through their phone rather than through their human body as they walk along. Yeah, that's completely true. Uh, phobias, by the way, finally, just can they be treated? I mean, uh, would you go for controlled doses of exposure to make people get over something? Yeah, there's all kinds of treatments for phobias. I mean, they're among the most treatable anxiety disorders, but most people don't seek treatment because they instead simply avoid the thing they're afraid of. 
Um, but yeah, there, there's uh, exposure therapy, which you describe, or gradual desensitization therapy, where you're very slowly introduced to and, and habituated to the thing you fear. Cognitive behavioral therapy, hypnotherapy, talking therapies, which might get to the root of the moment at which the phobia was forged, which might have been based in a traumatic experience or a displaced anxiety. So um, that there are lots of treatments and there's lots of examples of the book in the book yeah. of, of different treatments that have worked. Yeah, I've hit like, you know, what you try to discover is how our fixations have taken place. And then I feel that's from prehistory to now. So we're talking the personal, the political, the psychological, the social, the past, the present. It's all there. Stunning design on the book as well, by the way. But just I did say this would be the last one. So here goes. Um, 1630s in Holland. Um, there was a tulip mania. <laughs> like people like had to have bulbs or else were freaked out by bulbs. And the price is absolutely soared. And you basically could use the two words mass hysteria. Yeah, well, it was a bit like the sort of dot-com bubble or something like that. There was a, a sort of obsession with tulip bulbs and, and tulips, and they became extraordinarily expensive and highly sought after. And then eventually there was a, a, a huge crash, a bubble burst, um, and it all collapsed. But yes, it's a, it's an example of how um, a sort of enthusiasm can become shared in a society and turn into a sort of um, an irrational mania. So do you think for the purpose of like proper diagnosis, must the fear interfere with normal functioning? Yes, I think that 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 is the that's the dividing line between a fear that might be a little bit extreme and one that that is a real problem that is is technically a phobia. And you do point out some people that really have not done very well, like, you know, the lack of ethics in the methods employed by certain scientists when dealing with patients and kids and, you know, who come away, who, you know, kind of worried about animals. And they, they probably come away freaking out about psychiatrists at the end of it all. Right. Yes. There's a couple. I mean, most of the stories of treatment are sort of successful, happy endings, but some really some of the stories I came across in the sort of medical literature and history really made me flinch at the sorts of things that had been um, the treatments that had been tried out on people, um, especially children. Yeah, indeed. Well, listen, look, it's all there. And as I say, it's a real Christmas present book because you can dip in and say, did you know? Anyway, yeah. it's called The Book of Phobias and Manias, A History of the World in 99 Obsessions. It's out now by Kate Summerscale and it's Kate who we've been talking to. So, Kate, thank you so much for talking with us on the programme today. And happy Christmas to you. Thanks so much. Happy Christmas to you too. Dave Fanning on 2FM.